We return this morning to Matthew chapter 7, the final portion in this seventh chapter begins at verse 13 and runs to the end of the chapter. This morning our portion begins at 15 and concludes at verse 20. Matthew 7, 15 to 20. Our Lord Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Everybody knows the answer, and the answer is no. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Father, it's quite astounding to have our Lord tell us that we will know something as your children. And yet we do not doubt that we shall know because Jesus said we shall know. That we can tell, that we can discern. That we are not left in this old world of strange pilgrimage. We are not left without the ability to discern truth from error. And having that capacity as your children, we certainly ought to exercise it and make choices along the lines of it. Help us in this age in which, even as thy word says would be true, has come to be true, as even many of your people desire to have teachers that will itch ears and please, and concede, and make discipleship convenient when all of us know with an open Bible it has never been. Help us then to be a responsive people today to the truth of Scripture as from the lips of our Lord. And for that we will praise you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. I remind you that in this last section, there are two ways, two trees, and two houses that dominate the illustrative end of the Messianic Manifesto. Last week, we considered the way onto life and the way onto destruction under the command of King Jesus, verse 13, to enter into the straight gate, the narrow way. Today, we are considering what King Jesus said about the two trees, depicting, as it were, true and false shepherds, or true and false prophets. One of my favorite Bible teachers said, God has not ordained false 
prophets or teachers. But he has ordained that they should exist. God has not ordained the false teacher or prophet, but God has ordained that they should exist. It is quite startling to think upon the sheer volume of verses in both the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures that warn us against heretics, apostates, and deceivers. God's people are to know that Satan loves to use God's own people to promote his evil work. And it should not surprise us that the false teacher often possesses a dedicated following. In the Old Testament era, God told his faithful prophet Jeremiah about a wonder-filled and, quote, horrible thing that was committed in the land. The prophets prophesize falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. And God said through Jeremiah, my people love to have it so. When God's people say, oh, we hate the false, we hate the false, they, we hate the false, uh, oftentimes they're lying. God's people do not hate false things as they ought. In the New Testament, Paul warns of false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And then he goes on to say that this is no marvel for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11, 13, 14. The command of King Jesus uh, concerning the two ways was enter ye in at the straight gate, verse 13. And the command of King Jesus concerning two trees is watch out for false prophets. Verse 15, watch out, beware of false prophets. Pseudo-prophetes is the Greek. That compound term refers to a person who is acting the part of a God-sent messenger or one who is uttering falsehood while using the name of God. The false prophet or teacher isn't just wrong. The false prophet or teacher is dangerous. He is to be avoided. He is to be exposed. But you can be sure that there are false teachers who stand at the wide gate, encouraging people to enter in the wide gate as means that seems right to them. Such a way, though seemingly right, leads to a forever death. One of the unbelievable emphases of uh, religion in all generations 
could be summarized by the phrase, try doing God in your own way. Do God your way. Do worship your way. Do God your way. The overriding thrust of the Lord's command here develops our understanding of right following of godly leadership who faithfully represent the truth and grace of God. The logic that is forwarded here by the king of heaven uses two trees to define good and bad teachers. And, uh, and uh, the look of those two trees is, uh, is, of course, the same. And that's what makes it difficult. King Jesus asserts something that ought to be for us most encouraging. Yes, I found something encouraging in this text. And uh, not only did I find it once, but I found it twice. Look at verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Verse 20. There, wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not once, but twice. The Lord Jesus said that his people shall know the tree or the teacher by his fruits. Verse 16 and 20. The word know is an intensive sense of the word know. Epigenosis speaks of a precise knowledge based upon a discovery after righteous investigation and evaluation. The verb is indicative meaning that the people of Christ, as a matter of simple fact, will be able to discern between the true and the false. That is a phenomenal encouragement. You and I, as the children of God, are not left to the deceptions in our world. You and I are not left to the deceptions of our great adversary. You and I are not left to self-deception. But indeed can bring ourselves to the mirror of the word of God and know the truth. And as Jesus said in another place, that truth shall set us free. King Jesus said, as is printed on your outline, that there are both good and bad preacher-teachers. King Jesus said that both the good and the bad preacher-teachers bear fruit according to their root. If I hold up an apple and I say, where do you think I got this? Some of you would say Meyer. <laughs> some of you would say Heidi's. And some of you would say an apple tree. But none of you, if I held up an apple, would say, oh, you got that from an orange tree. No. Uh, there is a relationship of fruit to root, root to fruit, root to fruit, and, and, and fruit to root. There's a relationship that the root determines uh, the fruit. And uh, I know somebody's going to tell me this after I'm done preaching today, but I already know that there are trees you can buy that have a pear thing out this way and an orange thing out that way and something else going out that way. Three kinds of fruit. I know. I've seen those. And, and you let them live long enough and they'll either die or, or all the fruit will end up tasting about the same. But nonetheless, I know that that is... Uh, that is uh, uh, biologically possible uh, by manipulation of human hands. But the reality is, is that root and fruit is a thing uh, that you can see in nature all over the world. Uh, King Jesus also said that both the good and the bad can be identified by their produce. 
that they can be identified by their fruits. And just like you can tell the difference uh, between an apple and an orange, you, as a child of God, can tell the difference between the true and the false. So then the question is, if God's people don't, what would be the problem? And the problem was, would either be, A, they're not God's people, or B, they don't want to identify the fruit as bad tree. Kind of narrows the choices. Our Lord identifies, in the context here, three characteristics of the false teacher that helps us to obey his command to avert and to avoid the bad tree. Number one, the false teacher masquerades. Masquerades. He makes every Sunday Halloween. He dresses up for a part that is not true to who he is. Jesus likens the false teacher to a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, that doesn't mean what we usually think it means when we read it quick and make a quick application. It doesn't mean that the wolf in this illustration is impersonating sheep. In fact, the wolf is impersonating a shepherd. When Little Red Riding Hood goes into Grandma's house, and she looks at ugly grandma in the bed. Ugly grandma, which is not her grandma, of course. Ugly grandma, which is the wolf in grandma's clothing, is what seeks to deceive little red riding hood. Hence, uh, the wolves, the bad trees of the analogy here, are shepherds in the day who wore uh, shepherd's clothing or sheep clothing. You could almost always tell who the shepherds were by the clothes that they had on. They wore garb, they wore clothing uh, that was uh, the product of the animals that they kept, wool garments, and those wool garments were made uh, to be rough and rugged for work. They were work garments, and you could almost always tell who the shepherds were by nature of the sheep's clothing that they wore or the wool clothing that they wore. Uh, such outward appearances, according to Jesus, are of no great value in identifying false shepherds because they come to you in shepherd's clothing. They talk lovingly about God, and speak authoritatively about the things of God, but in fact are not true to the message of God, nor are they God's messengers. They are indeed great pretenders. And according to the Lord Jesus, you need never come under the spell of a pretender because you can know and I can know the good tree 
from the bad tree. Now, to gain a little more insight into this idea of the masquerading of the false prophet or the false teacher, I want to show you an Old Testament text of prophecy uh, in which the Lord, Zechariah chapter 13, a prophecy in which the Lord tells of a day when he is going to enact his hand to take out of uh, the land of Israel all idolatry and all false prophecy. Uh, In a coming day, uh, God promises through his prophet Zechariah to remove all idolatry and all uh, false prophecy. Look at 13.2, Zechariah 13.2. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. Here's a prophecy that says in a coming day, God is going to remove from the land of Israel uh, all the idols and all false prophets. Verse 3, and it shall come to pass that when any shall prophesy, or prophesy rather, in that particular day after God removes faults, then his father and his mother that begat him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and his mother that begat him shall thrust him through when he prophesies. What is that saying? Uh, it's saying that in the generation before God removes all idols and all false prophets, that when a false prophet arises, it's unlikely that his mother or his father or his sister or his brother will oppose him. Even though mom and dad and Uncle George and Aunt Lucy know that uh, uh, Jerry is a jerk. Even though they know that that guy's a false prophet. That he's not speaking the truth. They will not, in the age before God removes the idols and God removes the false prophet, they will not stand against their own family member because he's their family. And people worship their family as if it's a competition with God. Don't you know? But it's my daughter. It's my son. It's my grandpa. Well, what if your grandpa's a false prophet? Wouldn't you want other people to know it? But Zechariah indicates that it's going to take God's removal of idolatry and God's removal of false prophecy before families will get a little ketzba in their soul. And then when somebody stands up and starts saying things that aren't true, that mom and dad, sister and brother rise up and say, listen, don't listen to him. We love him, but don't listen to him because he's not telling the truth. That's an amazing thing in verse 3. Talking about a day in which you and I know we don't live. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. He goes on to say, his mother and dad say to him, Thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of the Lord, and his father and his mother that begat him shall thrust him through when he prophesieth. Thrust him through with what? They're going to stick him. Dad's going to say, I help bring you into this world. I'm taking you out of this world. Because you are not honoring God. Wow, that'll be a day. That'll be a day. 
That's a day of prophecy. Verse 4, And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophets shall be ashamed every one of his vision. If a person in that coming day says, I know what God wants, I know what God says, I know, I know, I know, I, 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 I'll, I'll speak on behalf of God, that person will become ashamed of what they would say in the name of the Lord when he hath prophesied. But I, I read all of that, two, three, four, all of that for the last phrase. Neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. Neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. You see, when God called a man in the Old Testament era, his life became phenomenally singular and phenomenally simple. That man was all about, his entire life was all about the Word of God. No longer did he dress as other people dressed. He dressed roughly in the clothes of a prophet or in the clothes of a shepherd. And thereby, one of the ways in which false prophets would augment their credential, would augment their resume, is by making sure they bought their clothes at the prophetic men's clothing store. And so they'd go there and they'd say, I want a camel uh, outfit just exactly like John the Baptist. I want a JB camel outfit. That's what I want. What I want for preaching is I want a JB camel outfit. That's what I want. That's what I want to wear. That's what I want to wear. And so then the, uh, the clothier would pull down the latest camel and would make the adjustments, and then the individual would be dressing uh, in the clothing of John the Baptist, the John the Baptist line of camel wear. Uh, uh, the, uh, the shepherd line, the Davidic shepherd line of, uh, of shepherd wear. Uh, and so uh, we are told in the Old Testament by Zechariah that the false prophets often to augment and to self-promote their own credibility uh, would dress roughly in the clothing of the prophet or the shepherd. And as a result of that, of course, people were deceived. But they were deceived by what was on the outside, the external, having never considered righteously the internal element as Jesus commends we do when Jesus says back in Matthew chapter 7, beware, watch out for false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but they are ravening wolves. And so we leave the idea of, of masquerading, and we now embrace, secondly, the idea of merchandising. The false teacher is a masquerader. 
The false teacher is a merchandiser. The word associated with wolves in verse 15 is ravening. The word means extortion. It means robbery. It is used in common Greek to speak of the swindler. If you follow the money trail, it will end up in the pocket of the false teacher. Jesus herein warns us of the spiritual con man. And I remind you that in order to con the Christian, the false teacher adopts the look and the vocabulary and the affiliation of genuine shepherds. He takes on the look of an in of a of a good shepherd. He takes on the external look of a good shepherd, while internally, said the Lord Jesus, he is a merchandising wolf, masquerading merchandising. The third characteristic has to do with the false teacher's makings, as in, I made myself a hot fudge sundae, makings. Uh, The false teacher has makings. The Lord declares that you and I who follow Christ will be able to identify the false teacher by their makings, by their produce, by the fruit of their lives. Looking beyond appearances, looking beyond their verbiage, we can discern the falsity and avoid the deception. Some teachers are so obvious in their error that only the weakest of believers could be taken in by them. But there are those who hide their real character and intentions extremely well. The false prophet can easily take in the careless Christian, commentators forward, uh, three areas in which you and I, as God's children, are commended to test concerning the true and the false. I'll give you those three. One, the person's deportment. The personal deportment of a teacher can be tested. That means, how does that teacher live? How does he treat his wife? How does he treat his family? How does he deal with his business affairs? What are his recreations? What are his entertainments? Who are his buddies? Who are his friends? Can you see virtue? Can you see a heart for God's glory? Can you see a heart for other people's good? Learn to read the deportment of the preacher. Learn to read the deportment of the teacher. I recently read of a pastor in Texas, who became well-known for his pair of $6,000 tennis shoes. 
that he wore on Sunday morning when he preached. And if I had $6,000, there's a lot of things I'd do with that, but tennis shoes would not be one of them. But uh, $6,000, and I thought that was crazy. And then I looked it up, and there are actually tennis shoes that sell for like $30,000. That's just astounding. But nonetheless, deportment. Or the old-fashioned way of saying it is, how does a guy actually live? How does he actually live? What does he actually do with his life? Is he all about the same things that everybody else in Western Michigan are all about? Or is there a constant thread that brings him back to the reality of Christ and the testimony of the Word of God and the gospel to the lost and the edification and advance of saints? Read his deportment. Number two, proclaimed doctrine. Personal deportment. Secondly, proclaimed doctrine. You can tell a lot about a teacher by the proclamation of his doctrine. It can be tested. All false teachers have a distorted, incomplete, or off-balance view of the Scripture. Those that downplay the importance of doctrine those that downplay the importance of the Bible, those who assure sinful people constantly of their acceptability with God, regardless of how those people live, are false. Those who admit, omit, I should say, important doctrines are false and ought to be avoided, and ought to be averted, and ought to be exposed, but surely ought not be followed. And then the third area in which you can indeed test a false teacher, a false preacher, has to do with their professed disciples. Personal deportment, proclaimed doctrine, professed disciples. The professed disciples of a teacher can be tested. The old adage is, birds of a feather stick together. And people that are drawn to false teachers are usually superficial believers, if believers at all, self-centered and unstable. The undisciplined believer flocks to the false teacher looking for personal affirmations. You can tell a lot about a spokesman by who it is that follows him. And so when it comes to the declaration of Jesus that believers can know, we can discern uh, who the false and the true are, uh, the categories of our analysis, again, one more time, personal deportment, proclaimed doctrine, and professed disciples. I then would have you look at verse 16, where Jesus said, Ye shall know them by their fruits. And then Jesus asked the questions, Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? And the congregation got 100% on the test, and everybody said that the expected answer is indeed no. 
But commentator William Barclay tells us of a certain thorn in the Middle East called a buckthorn that had little tiny berries on it that could be mistaken as little grapes. And he also wrote of a thistle plant that looked at a distance to be bearing figs. In both cases, a careful look and examination would reveal the truth, no grapes, no figs here. But a casual, flippant look at those same plants may well cause the person to conclude falsely, yep, there's grapes over there. Yep, there's figs over there. The Lord Jesus assures us that we can tell the good from the bad as we walk with the Lord in the light of his word and discern, here's another little outline for you, the words, the ways, and the wards of the false teacher. The false teacher has words. The false teacher has ways. The false teacher has wards or followers. And you can discern the false teacher by his words, by his ways, or by his wards. Now, the Lord is absolutely crystal clear in this passage as to the fate of all falsity. Look down, if you would, at verse 19. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. God expects you to pick your teachers well. God expects you to follow those whose godly walk is evident. God knows how to deliver the godly, and he knows how to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment. King Jesus says, watch out for false teachers. Now, we could turn to at least 20 different passages in Scripture for confirmation of the same. I'd like to look at one this morning quickly uh, before we wrap up and conclude. And so, if you turn to 2 Peter and chapter 2, 2 Peter and chapter 2, we will simply read with a few comments uh, this section of God's Word, 2 Peter chapter 2, 1 to 4 and 9. 2 Peter chapter 2, 1 to 4 and verse 9. Peter says, but there were, past tense, false prophets also among the people. Boy, that's the truth. Ask Jeremiah. That's the truth. Ask Isaiah. That's the truth. Ask Ezekiel. That's the truth. Ask Amos. That's the truth. Ask any of the Old Testament prophets. They'll tell you. Boy, there were a lot of false prophets among the people. God has not ordained any false prophets, but he has ordained that they should exist. Until, as you know, a day comes when God's going to take them all away. But you and I live in the period of time 
when false prophets, false teachers, exist among the people. So Peter wrote, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and I would say not swift enough, from my opinion. But the word swift there is the Greek word that yields the, uh, the English word tactical. God brings upon the false prophet tactical destruction. Uh, and the tactical destruction is, uh, is destruction that comes where somebody's looking for the precise shot at the precise time as planned. And God has a planned shot at a, plan, a precise time, and he'll take it when the time comes. And in the meantime, here we are living when we have many false teachers among the people of God. Verse 2, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom, the many who follow their pernicious ways and those that are pernicious, by reason of whom the way of the truth shall be evil spoken of. How many times do you and I hear about some Christian being represented in the news or some Christian being represented down uh, in the community coffee house and, uh, and uh, you say, oh, oh man, uh, I, I, I'm almost embarrassed to name the name of Christ after, after that guy has been identified as a Christian. Well, that's exactly what God's word says, that the age in which you and I live is that an age where there are false teachers and there are many who follow false teaching, and as a result of that, because of them, both the false teacher and those that follow the false teaching, you and I sometimes almost feel bad about identifying ourselves as God's people. We shouldn't feel bad about it, but we almost do feel bad about it because of uh, the, the uh, sentimental uh, 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 negativity that comes towards us uh, in identification with junk like that. Uh, verse 3. And through covetousness, who's covetous? Well, uh, the false teacher's covetous, and so are the people that follow him covetous. Why do people follow false teaching? Well, because they can get more of what they want. More of the music they want, more of the preaching they want, more of the prosperity they want, more of the gifts they want, more of the job they want, more of life as they want it. That sound familiar? And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise, we've seen that word before, of you whose judgment now a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved unto judgment, and then it continues to speak of the old world and Noah, and then it speaks of Sodom and Gomorrah, and then it speaks of other things. We jump down to verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. 
God knows how to do that. God has promised to do that. We are trusting God to do that in his own time. And in the meantime, what am I going to say? Well, the times are mean. You and I are told of our Lord that we shall know them by their fruits. We need not be deceived. We need not be caught up in Christendom. We can indeed be true and faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And indeed, most of us here plan to do that very thing. The compassions and the commands of King Jesus are ever directed in truth and grace. This morning we followed the Lord's warning of false teachers, but we're not concluding with that thought. We want to conclude all this month by pointing our hearts to Christ, who is ever true, who is ever faithful, upon whom we can ever depend. This month, our hymn of response is a sweet and insightful expression of love and desire directed towards the Lord Jesus. I understand that the words of the hymn that we're using as our response hymn this month, that the words of this hymn uh, were written well over a thousand years ago and translated into English for our use. After prayer, we're going to sing number 89, Jesus, the very thought of thee. And during the course of this month, as we continue to preach in Matthew, we will seek to respond with this great hymn, paying particular attention to the words that are before us. They are short, pithy little statements. It won't be hard in a matter of a few moments to sing all five stanzas. And yet, I tell you that every stanza is a devotion a consideration in and of itself. Jesus, the very thought of thee, with sweetness fills my breast, but sweeter far thy face to see, and as believers we know we shall, and in thy presence rest. No voice can sing, no heart can frame, nor can the memory find a sweeter sound then thy blessed name, O Savior of mankind, O hope of every contrite heart, O joy of all the meek, to those who fall, how kind thou art, how good to those who seek. Stanzas 1, 2, and 3 this morning after prayer. Father, thank you for a clear warning from our Savior's lips today concerning the false, the ugly wolf 
Help us to have thoughts of Christ in all purity and love and response. Help our minds and hearts to be centered in Christ. Throughout this day, we do pray. Encourage our heart. Strengthen us. Help us to be a responsive people from the heart. We ask in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.